Welcome to this episode of Church Grammar. On today's episode, we talk to Heath Thomas. Heath Thomas is a dean and professor at Oklahoma Baptist University. Primarily, we talk today about the Old Testament as Christian scripture. So how do Christians read the Old Testament as Christians and see the full storyline of the Bible that is centered on Jesus? We also talk a little bit at the end about his hair. You'll have to wait to listen to that, but let me just say he was uncomfortable, but uh, he went with it. This episode is brought to you by B&H Academic. You can check out all of their books and offerings at bhacademic.com. Don't forget to sign up for their email list so you can hear about the latest books that are coming out. You can also go to csbible.com and check out our other sponsor, the Christian Standard Bible. That's a Bible translation that is faithful to the original languages without sacrificing clarity. And now, my conversation with Heath Thomas. But first, our friend, no big deal. Keith Thomas on the line. Heath, thanks for hopping out with me today, man. Frank, thanks so much. Great to be with you. All right, so let's talk a little bit uh, before we get into our topics today. Why don't you talk a little bit just about your faith journey, how you became a Christian, and how that led into you becoming a scholar? It, it, it was kind of a journey for me to get there. So I became a Christ follower when I was about 16 years old, and it was in the context of a, a, a worship service, and I didn't really hear anything that was said during the the time I was kind of checked out, but at the end of the service, uh, the person who was speaking said, you know, nobody, there's somebody here who who hasn't been paying attention, uh, but right now God is really trying to get your attention and get hold of you. Hmm. And for whatever reason, I had the sense that he was talking to me and that God was calling me to follow Jesus. And and uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor for 40 years, two of my brothers were pastors. I've served, you know, six churches in three states and two countries. So I, I kind of knew what was going on. And at that moment, for whatever reason, the Lord uh, warmed my heart. I responded with the call and came forward and, and gave my life to Christ. And since then, uh, God has taken me on quite a journey. I didn't think that I was ever going to be a pastor or a minister. I thought I was going to be an English professor. And that was professionally what I trained to do, uh, to be an English professor. I got a BA in English Lit. But my junior year, I took Hebrew. I made a, a trip to Israel for the first time. And it was like the black and white pages of scripture really came full color. Hmm. And uh, I still was on the teaching track, uh, teaching, preaching, but uh, the focus changed from, you know, Milton and Shakespeare to Habakkuk and uh, other prophets. So that that's kind of my my journey to where we am today. And did you, unlike most people, take to Hebrew pretty quickly as far as the ability and the interest, or was that a hard road for you? Most of us, well, it's a hard language road. is never. Yeah, yeah, no, language is always a hard hard deal for me. I don't wake up and clap my hands and you know shout hallelujah for Hebrew or something <laughs> like that. But what I do love is I love the facility that Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic gave me in opening up God, God's Word and and really understanding what's going on in the Word of God. So uh, not naturally, I'm not 
I'm not gifted at language, but I've had to I have had to have eight languages to do what I do. Right. And every step along the way, God has given me strength to do it. That's awesome. All right, well, let's get into uh, the meat of what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk about Old Testament as Christian scripture. So you do a lot of work. You've written a Habakkuk commentary. You've written on a ton of different Old Testament uh, books. You've written chapters, different things like that. And and you really model, I think, well, an evangelical who's trying to make sure that we talk about the continuity of the Old and New Testaments. You can call it canonical approach mm-hmm. or theological interpretation or whatever you want to call it. But I feel like you've modeled that really well. So could you give maybe just a, an overview summary of how you view uh, the Old Testament as Christian scripture, just to help people get a little bit of a handle on it? Sure, I appreciate that, uh, and I hope I do model it well. That's the goal. So, from my perspective, uh, because of what Scripture reveals to us, we have to take uh, very serious, with utmost uh, intensity, the idea that the Old Testament is not uh, secondhand Scripture or uh, the leftover Scripture after we get the New Testament, or or kind of the second-class citizen. Uh, when it comes to Scripture. We need to understand that the Old Testament is the Scripture of the Church. The earliest Church, Jesus the Apostles, and then uh, after Pentecost, the only Scripture that they had was the Old Testament, the Law, Prophets, and Writings. And so that forces us historically to ask a basic question, why did they retain the Old Testament? And they retained it because the Old Testament reveals Christ. Hmm. Uh, and and that forces us to to consider. Oh my goodness, you know this this is not some sort of ancillary pre-Christian text. No, this is the Word of God for the people of God. And so, just historically, when you understand that, I mean, the early church had a lot of options. They could have, you know, formed their own scripture. And you might say, well, the New Testament is that. No, the New Testament sits in continuity with the old. And so for, for these reasons, I, I want to see the Old Testament as Christian Scripture. First of all, the early Church recognized that it is. Secondly, you know, if we're going to be faithful to what the early Church has done in, in receiving, accepting, and then supplementing the Old Testament Scriptures with the Old, New Testament, we need to understand that what they saw in the Old Testament is uh, God's Word, that reveals the Christ. I mean, we see this in Luke 24. We see this in all of the images uh, and the metaphors and the concepts and the events that are recapitulated in the New Testament. Jesus is, for instance, uh, the second Adam. He is uh, the person of faith, Abraham. He is uh, Noah. He is the ark. I mean, he's the salvation that's offered in the ark. He is the sign of Jonah. He is the people of God. He is Israel. He is the altar. He is the sacrifice. He is the temple. He is the prophet, priest, judge, king. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. I mean, he's everything. And so when I see the Old Testament, one of the things that I have to understand is, if I'm going to understand who Jesus is, I have to understand the Old Testament. Everything that we see in in the Old Testament is actually leading us to a fuller understanding of the Christ, even the, the word the Christ, Messiah, is an Old Testament concept. Uh, of course, we get it in uh, the book of Isaiah, the concept of the suffering king who atones for the sins of Israel and then, uh, uh, you know, becomes the sacrifice for the entire human race. Uh, that, that suffering servant Christ image, the anointed and appointed by God to do that work, that's an Old Testament image. 
So in that sense, the Old Testament becomes central in understanding uh, Jesus. It becomes essential in understanding the values and the virtues of the people of God, and understanding really how the Old Testament and the New Testament as uh, bodies of text hold together in Christ. So that's kind of uh, an outline of, of what I would say. Yeah, so how do you handle the, on the one hand, going so far as to, quote-unquote, flatten out the Old Testament, take away the historic meaning, take away the uh, authorial intent of the Old Testament writers? How do you balance that with sort of what you're talking about, about Christ being the fulfillment and whatnot? Yeah, and that's a great question. So one thing that I would say is we, we read the, uh, the biblical text from the Old to the New, from Genesis to, to Revelation, and, and we read it as a given that was given to us in history. There's, there's no way really to get around it. When we read the Old Testament, that God begins at the beginning at creation, and history is part of the creational reality. The progression of time and events is part of the created order. And when we read it that way, we begin to understand that God has spoken through prophets at various times and at various places, as Hebrews tells us, as Peter tells us. I mean, there are a lot of places in Scripture where we understand that we have to accept and understand uh, the Old Testament within its historical context. So in that sense, we need to read forward to Christ from creation to Jesus and then from Jesus to new creation. Hmm. That kind of historical progression is just a reality that we have to face because we are people living in real space, in real time, and history is a creational given. So we don't want to diminish the historical reality of the Old Testament. It is how God's Word has been given to God's people. And yet what we have to do is we have to learn to read from the front of the text, that is from Genesis, to Jesus. Once we see Jesus, the New Testament gives us kind of the framework uh, and the, the, the cues and the clues uh, from Christ to read back from Christ to the Old Testament. So we read it once again. So what I'm advocating is a kind of front-to-back reading of Scripture and then back-to-front reading of Scripture, that kind of dialectic from creation to Christ and then from Christ back to creation. Reading that way uh, in the Old Testament is uh, is is it's a, it's a unique way of reading Scripture. Um, Jews don't do it that way. Other parties don't read it that way. But as Christians, it's an imperative. We must read Scripture that way, especially the Old Testament. Yeah, so you're saying it's sort of a, some sort of a reciprocal relationship to where some people think if you're using the hermeneutic that you're talking about here, you're basically just reading Jesus back into the Old Testament rather than taking the Old Testament at its word. But if you actually start with the Old Testament, you see like the right. authors did, that the Old Testament was revealing things, not, you're not forcing it back yeah. into it, it's making it clear to you. Yeah, no, I think that that's right, and the, the deeper that you go into uh, what we would say the plain sense of Scripture, I, I think this, what will happen is the plain Scripture, the sense of Scripture unlocks to us, reveals to us, opens up to us the centrality of Christ, and then what happens, and again, the New Testament writers give us clues, indicators of how then to read back. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we're forward to Christ, but now that we see Christ, it's almost like uh, things that we see in the light of Christ in the Old Testament, it's not that they weren't there. It's just that Christ functions almost in a sense like a prism, and you, you and I both know what prisms do, right? They take the white light and they break it open into full color. That's mm -hmm. what a prism does. Well, it's almost as if Christ is the prism 
where the white light of the Old Testament is broken into full color. And because of that, we have to read the Old Testament once again, in a sense, for the first time, and we're able to see the, the beauty and the fullness of Christ. And that's basically what the New Testament authors were doing, right? I mean, they just realized in light of yeah, Christ, they had so. to figure that yeah. out. Yeah, so a lot of people want to, or, or sometimes it, it, it's a temptation to say, oh, okay, well, what is the quote-unquote hermeneutical approach that people are using? And I, I don't disagree uh, with this idea when we're talking about New Testament interpretation, but it, whatever the methodological or hermeneutical approach, one of the things that we cannot miss when we do a Christian interpretation of the Old Testament is it is the fundamental reality of Jesus, the Messiah, that drives these New Testament interpreters, uh, the apostles, uh, uh, to, to go back and see the fullness of the Old Testament for what it's fully saying about Jesus. It's not some sort of hermeneutical technique. It's the reality. It's the ontology of Christ, the reality of Christ that forces them to reread Scripture and say, ah, uh, yes, He's always been here. We can absolutely say he's the second Adam. He's the firstborn of all creation. And there's nothing untoward about that. And it's not a hermeneutical device. They're looking at Jesus, trying to make sense of Jesus. And that's what they see, the fullness of the Old Old Testament disclosing Jesus, even though the plain sense of the Scripture is telling us about different prophets and different people and different times, the fullest understanding of Scripture helps us see all of that in relation to Paul. Yeah, that brings up that kind of, that joke that people always tell that, you know, the Apostle Paul would fail a seminary hermeneutics class. Um, how do you, how do you look at some of that, you know, when Paul uses Galatians 4, we talked about that with Matt Emerson on a previous episode about Galatians 4 and sort of the way the New Testament authors were interpreting the Old Testament. It didn't seem like they had a clean cut hermeneutical approach per se, but were rather just trying to do everything they could and using whatever methods and whatever passages they could that made sense to them to try to describe, you know, how Jesus was continuing that story. So how would you how would you kind of break that down? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I, I'm not sure if Paul would uh, uh, pass the seminary uh, classroom, or if it would be more like Jesus sitting with all the you know rabbis and religious leaders at the temple teaching them what was going on. Mm. I think Paul has a lot to teach us about uh, maybe our, our our metrics on how we uh, do hermeneutics need to be recalibrated to reflect the diversity uh, that we see in the New Testament. I mean, I, I think that's probably truer to what needs to happen. So, I mean, I, I've that we need to have a a real sense of not just uh, the, the the ancient historical meeting. We can't abandon that in the Old Testament, especially or the New Testament. But what we have to do is we've got to be able to say all right, well, that historical meaning somehow divulges the Christological meaning, which is mm. Christ and then the Church. And it might also reveal to us some moral teaching about how we are to live as the people of God, not divorced from the plain and the Christological, but deeply connected to it. And then maybe the Old Testament teaches us something about the Christian hope. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm not doing something that, that is innovative here. I'm just Basically, in highlighting those four senses, I'm advocating for something along the lines of the quadriga, the, the, the fourfold sense of Scripture. And if you dive into that, what the Church has been doing for, for centuries, if you dive into that a little bit, what you'll find is, look, the Apostle Paul is using the Old Testament to reveal for the people of God how they should behave. 
He's revealing for them how they should believe, who is Christ, and even what the people of God in the ancient times of Israel were were thinking. And then finally, it reveals to us the Christian hope. I'm sorry. That, that's something that the New Testament writers do again and again. Mm. I think we need to re- retrieve something of that for our churches and our pulpits today, indeed from the Old Testament. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's good. So I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but you had this um, commentary on Habakkuk in the Two Horizons series, which I have and, and used for something I was teaching a few months ago. It was really helpful. Could you think mm-hmm. of an example off the top of your head to say, here is a, an on-the-ground passage example of how you do this, or being a Christian interpreting the Old Testament, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so this would be a great example. Habakkuk 2.4 is one that we all know and love, the just will live by faith. I think in its own historical horizons, you have to read it in the light of the Babylonian invasion and what God is calling the people to in its own originating horizons is quite simply this. Trust that God is going to vindicate the righteous and judge the the wicked. Absolutely. Okay. In its own historical horizons, that makes perfect sense, and it's a call to faith Mm -hmm. in the faithful God. I mean, we can understand that in, you know, the 6th century uh, B.C., but what we see is the New Testament doesn't allow us to stop there. In fact, that phrase, the just will live by faith, captures the essence of the Christian gospel. Uh, and, and this is what is the theme of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17, this is what Paul uses to encapsulate the, the essence of the gospel, the just will live by faith. Mm. And, you know, I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's not our faithfulness. No, no, it's faith in the faithful God. And how has God revealed himself? Well, Paul tells us very clearly in Romans, it's the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith unto faith, the faithfulness of the Old Testament to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Now, look, that is not a, um, you know, Paul isn't just talking about the, the, the 6th century B.C. there. He's enfolding each that historical moment from the 6th century to really help disclose the reality of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and then the faith that God's people must place in him. That's the gospel. And, but, but see, the New Testament doesn't allow us to stop there either, because the writer of Hebrews, for instance, uses Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, verse 4, uh, really chapter 2, 2 to 4, to reinforce the necessity of faithfulness even in time of persecution and pain. So don't shrink back from God in persecution and pain, but rather be faithful to Him. Mm. And we are not like those who shrink back and fall away and destroy it. No, we are like those who have faith. And the reason that His climax of this point in Hebrews ten thirty six to 39 is to use Habakkuk 2, 4, 2, 2 to 4, to say that really the one who is faithful is coming, and he will not delay. So now Jesus is the content of the vision that 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 uh, the that Habakkuk is talking about in, in chapter 2, 2 and 3. So what you get here is a call to faithfulness. You get your historical meaning. You get the reality of Jesus and the gospel, and you get the essence of the future hope. Jesus is coming back so we can trust in him. Uh, all of those. You could say this is the the quadriga from a full canonical reading of Habakkuk two four. Um, you you could call it that, or you could just call it a Christological reading that works itself out in the whole of the Christian life. Either way, Habakkuk becomes 
uh, a foundation by which we we can begin to see how we do this this fully orbed theological beauty of, of the Old Testament. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, let's move into another uh, project you've been working on. You just had a book come out with Bruce Ashford called The Gospel of Our King, Bible, Worldview, and the Mission of Every Christian. So when I was looking right. at this, I haven't got, I don't have a copy of it, but I was just uh, looking through it online because now you can read books online, you know. And uh, I was looking okay. at the, just the table of contents. And it seems like you have sort of a um, part hermeneutics, part theological reflection, part uh, mission, cultural engagement. So what were you trying to do with that book and, and having all that kind of put together in one book? Well, first of all, Bruce and I uh, worked together for about eight and a half years, and we became really good friends. And one of the things that we noted is that oftentimes when we talk about the gospel, the gospel as a concept or a reality sometimes floats free of the biblical story. And so we wanted to reconnect the gospel within its biblical roots, uh, particularly the roots of the biblical story. To say that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture assumes that we know what Christ actually means, a Messiah. And to get uh, explain that, man, you have to get back into the Old Testament foundations of what is a Messiah in the Old Testament, and is there a particular shape to the Messiah that we see in the Old Testament that the New Testament reveals in Jesus? And so, again, connecting gospel to the biblical story. But the more we thought about it, worldview emerges from the biblical story, and so does Christian mission. Again, the Christian mission is not just going to international missions, although it's closely uh, aligned with that. The Christian mission has, as we argued in the book, four uh, basic components. It has a a theological mission, reconnecting us uh, in right relationship to God uh, through the gospel. It has a cultural mission, human beings uh, going into their world and uh, exercising the Lordship of Christ in all of disciplines, whether we're talking about family or work or community or whatever. Mm-hmm. It also has a social mission, reconnecting us so that we love our neighbor very well. And then finally, an international mission, going into all the world and proclaiming and promoting the Lordship of Christ in all things, the forgiveness of sins that he offers as Jesus offers uh, as our substitute. And so, you know, what we tried to do in this book is frame up each of those elements, worldview, gospel, and the Christian mission, all in light of the biblical story. And if you don't have the biblical story, you're not going to get a robust or a full understanding of worldview, gospel, or mission. And so that was the function and purpose of this book. And uh, it really does answer for us the basic question that we're all asking, hey, what are human beings for? And the book really does give us a robust answer to that question by taking us through the story of Scripture, the gospel, and then the Christian mission. So on the title, you have the gospel of our king. So is there a kingship of Christ sort of thread throughout it, or is there, is there kind of a one theological motif like that that you're trying to hammer onto that threads through all of it? Yes, yeah, so the kingship of, of God in Christ is fundamental to uh, understanding our purpose in the world. Kingship as a metaphor is not just something that appears when Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of God in, in for instance, uh, Mark 1, 14-15. Again, that announcement is deeply embedded in the biblical story. And so we wanted to unpack the kingship of God from creation to new creation with Christ, as king. And once we understand that, listen, 
we can begin to understand the purpose of our lives in the light of his lordship. And so, yeah, the gospel of our king has to do with the lordship of God in Christ and how we relate to him. What would you say when you're when you're thinking through the things that we're talking about today? What are some some tips or some pointers that you give to students who are just starting to learn Bible reading for the first time, theology for the first time? What are some basic tips you give them to say, hey, when you open your Bible, here's a few things you need to think about before you really do anything else or as you start reading? Well, at Pops College for Theology and Ministry at Oklahoma Baptist University, one of the things that we try and do is we try to drive down three kind of pillars in every course. We want our students to understand Scripture, so we're biblical. We want them to understand theology, so we're orthodox. And we want to understand them how to navigate life, so we're very practical. Uh, So that biblical, theological, and practical kind of pillar set goes into every course. But one of the challenges that we face is students coming in don't know Scripture. So it's difficult to unpack for them or to drive that pillar of biblical foundations deeply into the class if they don't understand Scripture. And this is more than a Hobbes College for Theology and Ministry or an OBU thing. This is a cultural uh, challenge that we right. face in the Western world, but really in any kind of Christian context. Uh, they, our churches really have a hard time giving uh, a full kind of robust expression of Scripture so that people know and love Scripture. So if there's anything that I would encourage our students to do, if it were anything that I would encourage our, our churches to do, is drive home Scripture, not in a fragmented way, but in a holistic, narratival way, from yeah. creation to new creation. Our students and our churches have got to understand the totality of Scripture, because only then will we understand the totality and, and the, the fullness of Jesus Christ. And once we understand Jesus, then we can understand how we relate to him and live well in God's world. So we've got to understand Scripture. And so that's part of the function of the first four chapters of that book. And this is uh, designed really actually for uh, undergraduate students, freshmen, uh, opening seminarians or lay leaders, understand the totality of Scripture, the, the full story of creation, Paul, redemption, new creation. And then once you understand that, you can understand the gospel and uh, how Jesus opens your life and opens you up toward the world. That's why it would get self-defeating when people get into Bible reading plans and stuff and don't know what's going on. Yeah, another way that we see this is we see uh, New Testament reading plans that are, are truncated from the full story of the Old Testament, yeah. or we get Psalms or Proverbs reading plans that actually makes us really good Ben Franklins, but not <laughs> robust Christian. Yeah, that is very true. Um, okay, so I know you got to go. Last question for you. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I'm, I'm here to make you aware of it just in case you're not already. I feel comfortable enough telling you okay. this. There are, you are um, known in many circles, at least in many circles that I am in, as the academic with the best hair in evangelicalism. Oh. Are you aware of this? No, I'm not aware of that, but uh, <laughs> thanks for that information. That's excellent. Yeah, so I'm just trying to put the pressure on you to keep it up. Like, don't, don't shave your head, hey, don't trim it down. <laughs> At least I'm known for something, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, we're working on the other stuff, but if we can start with the hair, at least people are paying attention, right? <laughs> okay, that's great. <laughs> All right, hey, thanks, Heath. Thanks for taking a few minutes with me. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Brandon.